King commies, look out, tell them, look out for my worldview. Cloudy when you sinking, got you thinking it's a whirlpool. Caesar in your pockets, you can't see who's in your pockets. But Stevie's inner visions, touch your eyes and make the world Wifey bob her head and make her curls move. Crown jewel is character, and this ain't immortality with fairy dust. Welcome to Belfast, dedicated to those deconstructing, reconstructing their faith. Today I want to do something different because I just finished this book. Uh, and if you've been following me at all, you know I'm on the Heiser train. So I just finished the facade, which is his first in a two-part series of science fiction, apocalyptic slash theological books. It's really weird to describe, but that's the best I can do. It's science fiction meets theology meets apocalyptic storytelling. Now. A few things I want to get to and talk about in talking about this book uh, that just in my weird brain helped me frame it. I think are interesting. Um, yeah. So before I read the facade, I needed another just light read. I've been reading a bunch of serious theological stuff for school. I need a light read and I've got a, whole bookcase bookshelf over there that one that is all john grisham paperbacks not because i'm a huge grisham fan although i think he's he's good definitely not my favorite author but they were you know quarters or a dollar at a lot of the thrift stores i would go to so i was just like hey all right fine and i i read the firm was his first book ever i thought it was really good um, now I've read four of his books, The Firm, Plane for Pizza, which was his worst book in my opinion, as far as the ones I've read, before I've, the four I've read, Plane for Pizza, uh, Pelican Brief, which we'll get to in a second, and Time to Kill. Firm, my favorite. There's a reason it was his first movie deal. It's good. So if you want a John Grisham recommendation, The Firm. Um, but we're not here to talk about The Firm. But I did read Pelican Brief before I read the facade. Now, here's what I find interesting. They both feature a governmental conspiracy that overarches the main story. They feature two central characters who are low on the totem pole of power or prestige in these conspiracies or even in the worlds that all this is going on in. Um, they feature a male and a female character who are the main characters who are or become romantically involved. Uh, spoilers a little bit. Um, and just, you know, I will be talking a little bit of spoilers, just an overarching plot elements of the facade. Uh, so if you don't want to know some of those, then you can watch this after you read it. But yeah, both, uh, as Grisham usually is, very dialogue heavy, explaining you know, what's going on, what's happening, which is kind of the nature of these kinds of stories. Um, but yeah, just just some things I was like, man, they, in certain beats, in certain just overarching narrative developments and story structure, they are quite similar. Uh I mean, I guess that's high praise for Heiser as someone who before this had never written a fiction story, writing on the level of 
one of the best-selling authors of the past 30 years. So I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's a good thing. I just kind of found it kind of funny, but there was, so I, okay, sorry. So there's that, there's a bunch of similarities between Saad and Pelican Brief. Uh, and I think it might've just been because I read them back to back, but probably not. I think their similarities are strong enough that you can draw the comparison. It's not a bad thing. Again, it's just something I found kind of funny. That got me thinking because my, now I have a shelf of Grisham. I have two and a half shelves of Stephen King on this bookshelf. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Probably my favorite author, at least as far as fiction is concerned. Now, he does have one nonfiction book, which I tell everybody who's serious about writing or wants to write to read. Stephen King's book on writing, A Memoir of the Craft. Fantastic. I have this physical copy. I have the audio book, which I'll play a portion of just now. But he has a... He has a section when he finally gets through his little memoir, which is like very interesting to read, at least for me, because I'm curious about the man, uh, where he talks about the craft of writing. And he talks about writing what you know. And I couldn't stop thinking about this section as I was reading the facade, because I had been introduced to Heiser because of his theological works, right? And I was very nervous that... Well, this guy who's so good at doing theology, writing, you know, earth-shattering essays and nonfiction, can he crack it as a fiction author? And I kept reading the facade, and I kept being surprised. No, by no means a perfect book, perfect story. But it has a lot of strengths. And I think part of this because Heiser's writing what he knows. So I have this screen recording going on here. So we'll, I'm going to listen to part of uh, the section on, on writing from King, where he talks about writing what you know. And he makes a Grisham comparison, wouldn't you know? So hopefully this works. Write what you like, then imbue it with life and make it unique by blending in your own personal knowledge of life, friendship, relationships, sex, and work. Especially work. People love to read about work. God knows why, but they do. If you're a plumber who enjoys science fiction, you might well consider a novel about a plumber aboard a starship or on an alien planet. Sound ludicrous? Or if you're a biblical scholar who's interested in UFOs, you might write about a biblical scholar doing studies about an extraterrestrial governmental conspiracy. Just, just maybe. The late Clifford D. Simak wrote a novel called Cosmic Engineers, which is close to just that, and it's a terrific read. What you need to remember is that there's a difference between lecturing about what you know and using it to enrich the story. The latter is good. The former is not. Consider John Grisham's breakout novel, The Firm. In this story, a young lawyer discovers that his first job, which seemed too good to be true, really is. He's working for the mafia. Suspenseful, involving, and paced at breakneck speed, The Firm sold roughly nine gazillion copies. What seemed to fascinate its audience was the moral dilemma in which the young lawyer finds himself. 
Working for the mob is bad, no argument there, but the frocking pay is great. You can drive a Beamer, and that's just for openers. Audiences also enjoyed the lawyer's resourceful efforts to extricate himself from his dilemma. It might not be the way most people would behave, and the deus ex machina clanks pretty steadily in the last 50 pages, but it is the way most of us would like to behave, and wouldn't we also like to have a deus ex machina in our lives? Although I don't know for sure, I'd bet my dog and lot that John Grisham never worked for the mob. All of that is total fabrication, and total fabrication is the fiction writer's purest delight. He was once a young lawyer, though, and he has clearly forgotten none of the struggle. Nor has he forgotten the location of the various financial pitfalls and honey traps that make the field of corporate law so difficult. Using plain-spun humor as a brilliant counterpoint and never substituting cant for story, he sketches a world of Darwinian struggle where all the savages wear three-piece suits. And here's the good part. This is a world impossible not to believe. Grisham has been there, spied out the land and the enemy positions, and brought back a full report. He told the truth of what he knew, and for that, if nothing else, he deserves every buck the firm made. Critics who dismissed The Firm and Grisham's later books as poorly written and who profess themselves to be mystified by his success are either missing the point because it's so big and obvious or because they are being deliberately obtuse. Grisham's make-believe tale is solidly based in a reality he knows, has personally experienced, and which he wrote about with total, almost naive, honesty. The result is a book which is, cardboard characters or no, we could argue about that, both brave and uniquely satisfying. You, as a beginning writer, would do well not to imitate the lawyers in trouble genre Grisham seems to have created, but to emulate Grisham's openness and inability to do anything other than to get right to the point. John Grisham, of course, knows lawyers. What you know makes you unique in some other way. Be brave. Map the enemy's positions. Come back. Tell us all you know. And remember that Plumbers in Space is not such a bad setup for a story. But on to my thoughts specifically about this book, The Facade. And I'm not just going to be nice because I like Kaiser a lot and his other work. Uh, there are some ways in which I think the story doesn't pan out right or some some things he tries to tie in that aren't the best. But... All in all, I think it's a good story. Well worth reading, especially if you're interested in his other work. Yeah, give it a give it a go. If you like science fiction, give it a go. Um, so yeah, he has so some things he does. We'll start with things that I like. Things he does very well. One of the things he does great is his opening. He has a great, great opening that gets you right into the story sets up a lot of mystery and then just you don't know what's going on until the end you can't i mean you you can kind of guess it maybe what it is but after you read the end you're like oh okay i know what was going on in the beginning of the story but it hooks you it hooks you in and then the subsequent chapters three or four chapters after that he takes to introduce the major characters that are on this team 
So basic plot, you have this guy named Brian Scott, bars, uh, and Melissa. Uh, Brian is basically standing for Michael, which is fine. And I honestly mean that it's fine. Like it, wor- it works. Uh, there are some parts. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, Brian's basically standing from, for Dr. Heiser. Uh, he is a Hebrew and Semitic scholar who wrote his dissertation on ETs and the sons of God and Genesis 6 and Revelation and Daniel and all that stuff. So it's very interesting. But then Melissa, as an interesting foil to his character, is someone who is fascinated with the religious right and religious fundamentalism and fervency that seems to discount logic. So they have a lot of tussles in the beginning of them getting signed onto this team, but they get, they get uh, kidnapped per se by a governmental agency called the group that is investigating extraterrestrial activity and has been for years in the U S government. And they are assigned to a team of outsiders. So non-governmental workers who are supposed to help in preparing the public for the coming of extraterrestrials on Earth. Uh, Brian specifically and Melissa as uh, foil characters, uh, but their roles on the team are meant to help the religious fundamentalist accept the reality of ETs. Um, there's some other uh, characters on the team that uh, there's a Father Benedict who is a Jesuit priest. There's Malcolm who is a, another member of the team. There is uh, Deirdre, They're all part of this team that's supposed to help the public accept the reality of extraterrestrials and investigate what's really going on. They are exposed to Area 51 and flying saucers and spaceships. And then, a little bit of a spoiler, not really, there is a character who is introduced as Part of the group says he's part of the group, but is weary of what the government's actually trying to do with this. Who suspects something bigger going on? And if you read the book, here comes part of my, I, I liked that element of mystery around this person who is visiting these people, especially Melissa, and trying to get them you know, in on laying traps for the government or getting different information so that uh, they can see, you know, what's really going on here. I I liked that element a lot. I had a different suspicion for who it was as a character. So I guess good job on that, Dr. Heiser. But I think that the character that is revealed to be the insider, the suspicious insider, I mean, it works. It's fine. But I think some more hints could have been given that would have made the reveal that much better. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't my favorite. It wasn't my favorite. Just because there wasn't enough legwork done. It was like, oh, we'll mention this person and then they're going to show up later. But not a lot of, at least from what I can remember about the story, not a bunch of hints are given as to who this could be and then that that was one thing where i'm like okay i kind of when i read it i kind of struggled i was like okay like i'll go with it like it's fine it it works wasn't my favorite i just think a little more work could have been done to to make that reveal 
better, to make that twist better. Uh, so I have issues with that. Other things I have issues with, like uh, Grisham Book or like the Pelican Brief, because in the facade you have a bunch of smart people sitting around talking about aliens. It is very dialogue heavy, which is fine. Heiser knows how to write decent dialogue. Uh, but it's just so much dialogue. Sometimes you feel like, oh, wow, that's, that's, they've been talking for four pages straight. And it's about, some of it's really interesting because I know nothing about some of these conspiracies around aliens. So I was like, cool, this is, I can tell he's done his research. Man, it was a lot of dialogue sometimes. And the, the, be it, he can write good action scenes. There's some action scenes, specifically one with him and Melissa that involves some dogs that I was like, man, this is, wow, you're doing the most here. Like, this is great. I'm enjoying this. I'm hooked. I am curious what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. So those are good. The ending scenes of action are really good. The suspense is high. It's just there's moments in the middle where I was like, man, this is a lot of conference room talking. Just something I didn't enjoy as much. Also, what I mean, my favorite movie is Go to Hunting, which is a bunch of people sitting around talking for the whole thing. And it's not that his dialogue's bad. His dialogue's not bad. I think the other thing with that, though, that that was not frustrating because it works as his character, as Brian's character, but you can definitely tell Brian is a stand-in for Heiser because he says arguments I've heard Heiser make in interviews, word for word almost, using the same analogies. And again, it's fine because it works in the story. It works for him explaining these certain things, for him presenting his PhD, for him you know, having other characters ask him questions and then give them answers. It's fine. It works. It's not like he's breaking the fourth wall, giving us these long you know, forays into scripture and theology, it works because his character's that. But it was just, I, I laughed a little bit. And I was like, okay, Mike, I, I hear ya. I hear ya. Cool. And I was like, I can skip a few pages because I know exactly what is going on here. But the action, I think, makes up for it in the beginning and definitely in the end, the last 50 pages are, I did not want to put it down. So good good for you, Mike. You you made me not want to put it down, which is great. Um, how, yeah, the tension's built well. The There's moments where I was getting a little bit bored with all of the talking, and then you'd have a scene with, uh, with the you know, suspicious unknown character at the time, and I'd be like, okay, you got my attention again. Right, so he's obviously aware of flow of the story and the plot, able to put those in there to keep you interested. Oh, another good thing I liked. There's some great characters, especially Father Benedict, Andrew Benedict, as the uh, as the Jesuit priest that does some things that are very very interesting at the end of the book. Those were great. I was so happy for that. Heiser doesn't pull punches, man. There are times when, you know, because a lot of the Ted Deckers and Frank Reddy's won't even put swear words in their books of non-Christian. Heiser does. I mean, it's not often. There's Melissa says bastard at one point. Uh, I think that was it. 
there was references to cursing and things like that. But I'm glad that that kind of stuff was in there because it's just real to life. I don't need a potty mouth, but if the situation warrants it, I would like to know that characters talk how people talk in real life. Uh, yeah. So all in all, solid book. The ending, I won't give any specific spoilers. All I'm going to say is if you're going to buy this book, you better get the second one. That's how it ends. It's a definite cliffhanger. Definitely wanting you to read the second one. So I'm about to start that this afternoon. Yeah, that's all I got. It's a solid, solid read. Very good introduction. Introduces us to the main conflict and the bad characters, and but we don't know what's going on yet. Then introduces us to the main characters and their lives and some of their struggles and them getting introduced to this governmental group. And he keeps the mystery hanging around for a while. It does really well at that. Uh, very dialogue heavy in the middle, just explaining everything and everyone and all the stuff that's going on. Oh, another point I will make. Uh, King does this quite a bit, but maybe not as much as Heiser. I haven't read King in a few months, which I really want to get back to now. But probably after I read the, the portrait. But um, Heiser is very much a fan of his adjectives. He loves describing the things that are in the room, just setting. He loves his adjectives, double adjectives in many sentences. Not super complex sentences, but a lot of adjectives. So you're going to get used to that as you start reading. Good or bad thing, you can decide. I don't mind it. I write that way. So it's fine. It's good. I appreciate it. But that's something I had to get used to in the first even couple pages. I was like, oh, wow. He loves describing stuff. And in the end, the last 50 pages, 70 pages were just, you just finish it real quick. Good, good job. For a first time novel, Mike, pretty good. Pretty good. Your plumbers in space, your scholars in space, you did well. You did well. You mixed, you wrote what you knew. You mixed what you were interested in and did a good job and made a good story and you didn't too many punches in telling the story you told an honest story about how people would act in those situations and i appreciated it so i've got some questions for you if i ever interview you i hope to interview mike someday but all in all very enjoyable story not a perfect story there are some twists that i don't necessarily think are the best i buy them but they aren't the best set up better very dialogue heavy so all in all, I'd probably give it four flying saucers out of five. If you grab that one, if you grab that one, make sure you grab the second one. And you can get it on Kindle for like $8. I bought the paperbacks for $14, $13. So they're not very expensive. Yeah, would recommend. Would highly recommend. Four out of five. Tell look out for my worldview. Cloudy when you sinking, got you thinking it's a whirlpool. Caesar in your pockets, you can't see who's in your pockets. But Stevie's inner visions touch your eyes and make the world move. Wifey bob her head and make her curls move. Crown jewel is character, and this ain't immortality with fairy dust. Never land, never say I never gave you hands. If I can't give them back, then you look like.